Dear listeners, it's Clara Ter here. Welcome to the British Whisperer, the place to be to know which stories are making the headlines and learn the English you need. On the podcast website, thebritishwhisperer.com, you can find a link to the webpage with a transcript of each episode and its translation in Italian. In this episode, I'm going to focus first on Spare, Prince Harry record-breaking book. But nothing boring here, I promise. Instead, I'm going to give you some juicy curiosity about King Charles as described by Harry. Plus, Kate, the Princess of Wales, on the spotlight on the New York Times. Finally, I'll talk about kindness gestures and the life without plastic. Is it really possible? Are you ready to learn some English today? Let's go! Must be, really. It's inevitable, dear listeners. I'm afraid there is no avoiding the great crown soap opera as this finely crafted Prince Harry publicity spectacular engulfs the news. I can't help but giving you some news on Prince Harry's memoir that has record-breaking sales according to major newspapers. The steady drumbeat of revelations that preceded the book's release helped push early orders and initial sales, making Spare on its first day one of the best-selling hardcover books in recent memory. Spare sold more than 1.43 million copies in all formats in the United States, Canada and Britain, including pre-orders according to its publisher. The figure marked the largest first-day sales for any non-fiction book ever published by Penguin Random House, the world's largest publisher. The only books that have sold faster in a day have been about the other Harry. Harry Potter, <laughs> said Larry Finlay, its managing director. The public appetite is enormous. It's written on the New York Times. If you're asking yourself whether you are a Herite or a Williamist, you're missing the point, says the Guardian. Either way, you're falling into the royalist trap. However negatory the revelation about scenes of brotherly rivalry, beards, bridesmaids and broken dog bows, it's no use pretending it's not happening or that the country and its households aren't divided into Herrenites and Williamist. Polster See a Leave versus Remain rift, with Leavers on the side of monarchy and Remainers inclined towards Meghan and Harry. So, so much for Brexit, isn't it? So, are you an Harry Ride or a Williamist? Let me know by sending me an email at thebritishwhisper at writeme.com. So, is Prince Harry starting to regret the publication of his autobiography Spare, writes the Telegraph? The Queen must be spinning in a grave. Our Americans are reacting to Harry's truth, says the New York Times. One British writer who has been stateside for 20 years declares her adopted nation are bored of the Prince moaning. Well, take Harry's gaslighting claim that Ian Meghan never accused the royal family of racism when his wife told Oprah Winfrey a relative raised concern about Archie's skin tone in the past. Harry now claims the couple didn't mean the royals were racist, but unconsciously biased. Well, in which case, why did Harry and Meghan then collect an anti-racism award on the back of the interview? 
Harry told the journalist Bradby on TV. Silence only allows the abuser to keep abusing. Why then did the couple allow the press to supposedly misinterpret their comments for nearly two years without issuing a clarification? I thought they were fighting a war against misinformation. In reality, they are perpetrating it by presenting a version of events that is most generally described as confused, writes the Telegraph. Take bridesmaid's dresses. Okay, the big fuss about this. Harry claims in the book that the original story claimed Kate had reduced Meghan to tears. No, it didn't. The article actually read, The Telegraph has spoken to two separate sources who claim Kate was left in tears following a bridesmaid dress fitting for Princess Charlotte. Kate had only just given birth to Prince Louis and was feeling quite emotional, said one insider. It was the son who splashed the story the next day under the headline, Meghan made Kate cry. The bigger question now is who spares damages the most? The king actually emerges relative unscathed. He is depicted as a doting father who didn't always get it right, but clearly loved his darling boy and offered him compassion and forgiveness when he needed it. So, let's go to the juicy news. Eight bizarre revelations about King Charles you probably missed in spare, writes the Telegraph. Well, I will not tell you all of them, just the most juicy ones. So, you must not overlook spare's value as a resource for surreal tidbits about the lives, loves and late-night habits of our new king, Charles III. Or, as Eric claims, Pa, <laughs> here is what we have learned from his son. First, the royal knows, in a past life, Charles must have been a bloodhound, his son reckons. He was always sniffing things, food, roses, our hair, says Harry. Well, quite curious, isn't it? Second, he takes a teddy bear everywhere. Before Camilla truly joined the family, it is written, Charles had a teddy bear. Uh, we resist probing, although note that teddies are popular with royals and you collect them. But the passage in question about the teddy who had helped him get through Gordonstown is sweet. It still goes with him everywhere according to Harry. Teddy expressed eloquently, better than Pa ever could, the essential loneliness of his childhood. Right, Harry. Number three. It should be on Google Box. He never reads the press. He reads everything else, from Shakespeare to white papers on climate change, but never the news, according to Harry. He did watch the BBC, but he'd often end up throwing the controller at the TV. Oh, well, same Charles. <laughs> this is the king, however, so we cannot be sure he didn't have the literal controller of BBC News called in, picked up by a protection officer and hurled across the room. You can read the other juicy news on the Telegraph article linked in the script of this episode. Amusing ones indeed. Well, let's go back for a bit to the royal family and William. William's depiction as Harry, highly competitive arch nemesis, enthralled the throne as armed his reputation somehow. And as Harry's portrayal of Kate as someone who was grimaced at Meghan using her lip gloss and discussing her hormones. Well, at times the Prince of Princesses of Ways appears so buttoned up as to be unfeeling. But here is the rub. 
We do feel for them deeply. Harry thought his tale of woe would make people more sympathetic towards him, but the majority view appears to be that the real victims here are the royals he attacked so mercilessly, knowing that they have no choice but to silently take the abuse. And so, what about Catherine, the Princess of Wales? The New York Times writes, "The state of Kate." Catherine, Princess of Wales, seemed to live in a state of perpetual waiting. What does to do to a woman? Kate Middleton writes the New York Times, as she is still sometimes known to those of us who remember her before a royal marriage, figures in the memoir and Netflix documentary Harry and Meghan as a sketch of steely disapproval and emotional coolness. It is true that Catherine, the Princess of Wales, seems poised. In perpetual expectation, a real-life version of the fairy tale princesses who must wait stoically, some sleeping, some sleeping, until the prince finds and marries them. When she was the pretty young woman who dated Prince William for nearly ten years, including a brief breakup, before becoming engaged, the British tabloids cruelly nicknamed her "Waity Katie," as you probably remember, as a mother and wife. Kate has continued to telegraph, control, and studiously maintain patience, even when encountering the kind of disruption that might try a mother's temper, like a public tantrum by young Prince Louis. Her gracious demeanor never falters. She seems to find self-expression through one medium, though: photography. The princess is such a fine photographer, in fact, that Buckingham Palace sometimes distributes her family portraits to the media. They are very good pictures. They are also clear evidence of how thoroughly she has internalized the idealized gaze that the palace prefers to train on the royals. In all cases, she resisted, striving instead to assert dominion over her and her daughter's body. It is behavior consistent with the extreme self-containment that distinguishes a public image. In a way, the British monarchy is a perpetual performance of the refusal of shunting aside various realities—the reality of human bodies and especially the reality of power's darker side, including the machination, manipulation, and betrayals. Not to mention the violence of imperial conquest that built and sustained one of the richest families in the world. Writes the New York Times. The public spectacle of royalty is like a swan we see gliding serenely on a lake. But the private, usually unseen side consists of those webbed feet below, furiously churning in the water. One half cannot exist without the other. Perhaps Erin and Meghan bombshells help balance out the family, serving as those pedaling feet. By tacitly agreeing to represent chaos, they permit the others to seem calm and unruffled by comparison. And the calmest of all. The smoothest and most unperturbed of swans is Catherine, still silently gliding towards the future, the ever-waiting princess. Oh, peace talks planned for Prince Harry and royal family before coronation, an exclusive from the Times of London reveals. Royal insider believes there is a chance of peace talks. Well, we hope so, but both sides need to hold their ends up and admit. We got a lot wrong. 
a royal source who has the king's ear and who knows the Sussexes well, believes a reconciliation meeting will happen in the coming months and needs to take place before the coronation on Saturday, May 6th. It's going to take flexibility on all sides, but it can be done, it's fixable, says the source. It needs Harry over here, in the room with the King and the Prince of Wales, a couple of other family members, some of his people he trusts who always at his back, so he doesn't think he's being ambushed. Both sides need to hold their hands up and admit we didn't get everything right, and we got a lot wrong, and we have to say to him, we understand the pain you have been through. The King can do it. What do you think? So... I'm curious to know your opinion, so let me know by comments on my Instagram page to British Whisper or by sending me an email. All right, now, new topic. A kindness is never wasted. As well, the moral of one of Aesop's fables. This is also the conclusion of a study by Ohio State University who found that performing kind acts can reduce depression and may benefit some people more than established forms of therapy. The study involved splitting adults with moderate or severe depression into three groups, one of which was asked to perform regular acts of kindness. The gestures were as small as offering words of encouragement to others or baking for a friend. After 10 weeks, this group showed a greater improvement in depressive symptoms than the group's prescribed cognitive, behavioral therapy and social activities. Quite remarkable, isn't it? Well, now, let's talk about plastic. The world produced about 400 million metric tons of plastic waste each year, according to a UN report. About half has been tossed out after a single use. Now Britain seems to have taken action towards it and finally banning single-use plastic from this year. But this is the New York Times and in a 24-hour experiment, the journalist AJ Jacobs tried to live without plastic to see what can we do without and what may be able to give up. To avoid sitting on plastic, a writer even brought a wooden chair to the New York City subway. A plastic-free morning shave, thanks to a razor made of zinc and steel, and much more you can read in the article linked into the script. Since its invention more than a century ago, plastic has crept into every aspect of our lives. It's hard to go even a few minutes without touching this durable, lightweight, widely versatile substance. Plastic has made possible thousands of modern conveniences, but it has come with downsides, especially for the environment. So, plastic present and past. The world produces about 400 million metric tons of plastic waste each year, according to a United Nations report, as I mentioned before. About half is tossed out of a single use. The report noted that we have become addicted to single-use plastic products, with severe environmental, social, economic and health consequences. Uh, one of the addicts write to the journalist A.G. Jacobs, I did note it and I would estimate that I toss about 800 plastic items in the garbage a year. Take out containers, pens, cups, Amazon packages with foam inside and more. Well, 
writes AJ Jacobs on the New York Times. Before my day of no plastic, I immerse myself in a number of no plastic and zero waste books, videos, and podcasts. One of the books, Life Without Plastic, the practical step-by-step guide to avoiding plastic to keep your family and the planet healthy, by Mr. Sina and Chantal Pladmondon, came from Amazon wrapped in clear plastic, like a slice of American cheese. Well, not so interesting here to hear. I might be better to start small, Dr. Salazar said, Gabby Salazar. A social scientist who studies what motivates people to support environmental causes. Start by creating something small, like a single habit, like always carrying a stainless steel water bottle. After you have got that down, you start doing another habit, like taking produce bags to the grocery. You build up gradually. That's how you make real change. Otherwise, you'll just be overwhelmed. Well, I think so. This is a very good suggestion. So, dear listeners, are you a plastic addict? I have to concept myself. I probably throw into the plastic uh, recycling a lot of plastic every week. So, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not an addict, but definitely I should reduce the amount of plastic I'm buying. Anyway, want to know more? Read the article of the New York Times linked into the script of the episode. And that brings us to the end of this episode, dear listeners. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, on the website, The British Whisper, you can find a full transcript of the podcast in its translation in Italian. If you enjoy my show, please hit subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts so you don't miss any other episode. And if you enjoy this episode and you would like to help support the podcast, please subscribe and leave a rating and a review. <laughs> and if you can, a small donation via PayPal. Even one euro would mean a lot to me to support my expenses for the podcast publishing and the newspaper subscription. The link is in the website. To stay up to date with the British Whisper, you can follow me on Instagram at the British Whisper and spread the word. You are welcome to share any feedback, thoughts, or ideas writing an email to the British Whisper at writeme.com. And I hope you can take some valuable information from this episode and apply it to your English learning. And be sure to come back next week for a new episode. Until then, I'm Kiara Tea, and this is the British Whisperer.